This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. I am so excited for today's episode because today you're going to get to know someone that you've heard me talk about, you've heard on the show a few times, but you don't really know. So sit back, grab a drink, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe us, Jay? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. He did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. You guys, I'm really excited for today's episode because my producer and best friend, Jacqueline Alberto, has come on to co-host with me. You've heard her do some of the question episodes before and a few of the mini bonus episodes, but you don't really know her like I know her. So I wanted to bring her on for an episode because she herself has an incredible life story. I swear to God, this woman has lived nine lives and I wanted you to get to know the person that helps me put on this show and keeps me fucking sane in the process. So I'm so excited to dive in so you guys can get to know the Jackie that I know. So without further ado, here she is, Jacqueline Marie Alberto. Gabrielle Stone. Welcome to FML Talk. Thank you. Welcome to your show that you produce with me. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> um, like I said in the intro, we've done you know some question episodes. Obviously, if people are on the Patreon subscription, they've heard you on the bonus episodes. They see you in the self-love Facebook group. But like this is the first time you've done an official episode where you are the guest. I'm very nervous about this because I don't tell anybody shit about anything. You should. You so should I'm feel all the pressure. Doing this because it's you. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. I get it. You like you're you are like a brick wall. It was written in the ridiculous misadventures very accurately that you have a brick wall around well, you. Okay, it's not that it's a brick wall, it's just that I've seen a lot and I've Nine lives. Lot. You've lived nine I've lives. I've learned a lot that like at some point you just think it's just not worth it because <laughs> you know where it's going. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, but I so, bet I bet you by the time we're done with this episode, you will have gained something from speaking it out loud and all the people listening will feel very much connected to you on a new level. I don't know why I feel like I want to cry right now, but. Oh my God, it's too early for that. I know. Pull it back, girl. I haven't Pull even it back. said anything. I'm <laughs> um, just very nervous. Okay, so let's just take me back to the beginning um, of where your kind of journey began because you didn't come from LA. You've had 
so many different experiences. I, I feel like the first two years of our friendship, you would say something, you'd be like, oh yeah, my time when I was in the circus. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, <laughs> there's been so many times where I'm like, wait, well, you lived where? You know what I mean? But yeah. Okay, um, take okay, me back. So I'm originally from Miami, Florida. I grew up in a semi-normal <laughs> way. I mean, my like what were, is normal well, anymore? My parents are refugees. They're Cuban refugees. They came in the 60s and 70s. And they met at a disco when they were like 18 and 19. And they I got married that. super young. And then they were married for like eight or nine years. And then they got divorced. Um, and towards the end of that, my parents got divorced when I was four. And then they also had my brother. And he's older than me. So... My brother is my only brother that's like a full blood sibling. Okay. But I have five siblings, which makes six total. So I grew up in Miami for the first 11 years of my life with my mother. And that was a little kind of treacherous experience, which I don't know if you want to get into that, but we'll just leave it at that for okay. now. <laughs> and then, so my, my older brother has Asperger's syndrome which is a form of autism. It's on the spectrum. And so he was having a lot of trouble in school and like socially at home, like all the things. And so then my dad offered to take him and like give him a better education and all of that because my dad comes from money. Mm -hmm. He built his money. He didn't come from a family of money, but like he worked hard and he built his money. So he offered to take Alex, which is my brother, and he wouldn't take him without also taking me. Mm. So we both ended up moving with my dad. So for the first half of my life, I lived with my mom. And then the second half until I was 18, I lived with my dad. And when I tell you those are two opposite worlds, I'm telling you it's like literally black and white. Yeah. So on the one hand, it's like the single mother household. I had, my mom had a second marriage and then a second divorce. So I had two younger siblings as well. Um... In Miami, we were just sort of like lower middle class um, sort of world. And it was kind of like, you know, city life kind of thing. And then I moved in with my dad who had money, who was living in the suburbs, who could afford to like give us dance classes or give us music classes or take my brother to football. or t So it was like a whole different like thing. I was like, wait, yeah. we're allowed to do this? We're allowed to go to kids, like friends' houses and mm. do like fun things and sleepovers. It's not dangerous. It's not like, so it was just like a whole, I had to shift my whole life yeah. view at 11 years old from recognizing life one way. Yeah. And totally then different shifting. World. Yeah. It was a whole thing. Um, and so then I lived with my dad up until high school and then I went to college at Florida state university. So here's the beginning of my second life <laughs> or my third life. My second right. life was with my dad, my third life. And I was a theater major at Florida State, and I literally did everything you could think of. Like, I was this, like, crazy, kind of, like, super intense, passionate about, like, theater. You? Super intense? No. <laughs> theater and Shakespeare, and, like, I wanted to learn everything and get my hands on everything and learn everything. And my degree was um, everything but performance. So I learned about design. I learned about lighting. I learned about set construction. I learned how to weld. Wow. Um, I learned about directing. I learned about writing, like everything but the actual performance. Um, I 
applied for this grant to do this like heavy research they gave me a bunch of money to do this heavy research on like Shakespeare in the 21st century and how to like adapt it and devise theater and I used to throw myself off of people's shoulders for theater (laughs) and like do all these crazy things and like Mm -hmm. that I was just like that girl you know that like did everything like really like super like wanting to learn everything and do everything because I wanted to be all the things right so that was that um and then afterward I was like well I really want to perform because that's just like my, I come from a dance background. I come from a singing background. So I was like, I want to perform. And that was like a sit down talk with myself. Like all of these other things I've been learning to do is just me, my fear saying that I wasn't good enough to perform. So Mm. then I was like, fuck it. I'm going to grad school. And there's my fourth life. Well, and when you, when we did the questions episode last season, And I think one of the questions was like, what was something you would tell your younger self? You were like, sit down, don't do that. And grad school would have been one of them. So my fourth life is the one I wish I could take back. Okay, why? And okay, so my, I'm not gonna say like names or anything because I just don't, I don't really feel, I've healed from it enough already that I don't feel like rehashing it is beneficial. Yeah. Plus there's a lot of people that went through my program that didn't have my experience. Mm -hmm. So I don't wanna just say it's like a horrible place because it's, It was for me, but it's not for the majority of the people that go there. But I went to grad school in Texas. And if you paid me to go back to Texas, very sorry for anyone who's in Texas. The people are wonderful, but I would never go back. Girl, I I didn't (laughs) have a terrible experience in Texas and you couldn't pay me to go to Texas. Again, not hating on anyone in Texas, but the laws are bullshit at the moment. It was less so much the laws and more just so like there was so much trauma that happened to me in the span of two years that I just refused to step foot in the state. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. The people that I met, like friends, like colleagues, wonderful people that are from Texas that Mm -hmm. have like a great heart, a big heart, like everything's bigger in Texas. And I love that. You just could not pay me enough to go back. Yeah. (laughs) So I entered grad school. Are we getting into this now? Yeah. Oh, okay. We're diving in. (laughs) So I entered grad school with this like bright eye, like bushy tailed, like I just came from Florida State. I have all of this knowledge and I'm so like ready to learn about performance. And like, I, I was accepted on a full ride. So they paid for me to go there. I got like a stipend to like live there and all of that. So like, I felt like really like ready to go. And like, I was super open, like the opposite basically of what you meant. Seriously, like hearing you say that is like not the Jackie that I met. No, I was or just even like, no, like that's not like, even the Jackie I know now. <laughs> I know. I was just like, hi guys, hi, my name's Jackie. Let's go. Like I was so like happy and open and like, and then people just everything changed. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this program um, is a very selective program. It only accepts up to 10 actors into the program per year. And it was very clear to me from the start that there was a lot of pressure put on the class above me. Mm-hmm. Like they were like, it's kind of like they were like itching and kind of like rah, like in into their scripts and into the rehearsals and they're like constantly in the rehearsals rooms and, and trying different things and like never left, like yeah. never left. And so... As time went on, I was realizing that it was a cut program. Mm. And I don't know if you know what a cut program is, but if you don't live up to their standards, they can cut you from the program. Um, So there's all this immense pressure put on the actors, right? 
which I thought maybe that's a normal thing. Cause what do I know? This is my first time like learning what it is to be a performer. So maybe this is like, like the way to be an actor. You just have to like put everything you have into it, which I was, I'm always fine to do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I always do that. But as time went on, I realized that there was no really rule set happening that in an institutionalized place, the instructors were sort of just making their own rules as they go. Mm-hmm. And there was a little bit of like favoritism and discrimination happening, like sort of like masks in the Texas, like, hi y'all. Right. You know, but still happening. Yeah. And I looked around my class one day and I realized, oh my God, I'm one of three minorities in this class. Mm. I'm one of three women in this class. Wow. And the class was made up specifically of white males in their 20s and 30s. And I was like, why is there only like two Latinas in the class and one Asian man? Wow. Like where are the black people? Yeah. You know, where are the Indian people? Where are the Native Americans? Where's anybody like, where's, but the white people? In, like, why is this so? And I think, I think there was one of the students that got kicked out asked, why is the class set up like this? Like, why are there so many men white men in this class Mm -hmm. and the instructor at the time said it was because that's how the industry is casting oh my god and this was in 2012 so this was before yeah black lives matter this was before me too this was before all of that he's like the industry casts white male he's like unfortunately that this we cast our class based off the statistics so we were all i was already like there was already something up against me i wasn't already i already wasn't going to be good enough and I had to fight against the thing that the privilege. Yeah. Right. So that was number one. I'm no stranger to fighting against the odds. So I overlooked it. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. Every semester, we would get called into the office and they would say all of the things that we needed to improve on and then they would give us like a a death sentence. They would either say, you're on probation or you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. If you're on probation, you had one more semester to prove to them that you belonged there. Otherwise, you get cut out. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty intense situation. Um, So my first meeting after the first semester, I went in. 
And I wish I could tell you that what they gave me was constructive. I wish they could say, oh, well, when you did this in this scene or when you wrote that paper or when, when I wish I could tell you it was constructive. What I got instead of that was, you know, you walk into a room and everybody stops and stares and then you open your mouth <gasps> and it all goes to shit. We oh don't like God. the way that you dress. We don't like the way that you do your hair. We don't like the way that you like your shoes. We don't like the way that you talk. We don't like the way that you stand. Like it was all stuff that was superficial attack. Yeah. But also things that I can't necessarily control. Well, but also things that like shouldn't fucking matter to an art form. Right. At all. I got no criticism on my actual work in class. Right. All the criticism was on my person. Mm -hmm. So me being coming from the world that I was coming from in Florida, that was so foreign to me because I was like, okay, in my last program, I did very well in school. This is a school. Why am I not being judged on my work? Right. Why am I being judged on my appearance, appearance, personality, like style, like I don't understand. Yeah. This is also a foreign concept to me because I come from Miami and everybody's a different color. Everybody's coming from a different place. Everybody speaks a different language. So it's not that we don't see color down there. We're just more aware of it. Mm-hmm. We're just like, oh, cool. You're from here. Great. Oh, you're, you speak that language. Cool. I speak that language too. Like there was, it, what, it's, there's not a lot of like discrimination in that sense mm-hmm. because it's more of like a melting pot. Accept. Yeah. And so coming from Miami to Texas and then being told that like, I'm not enough, but not, not that I'm not enough as a, as a actor. I'm not right. enough as a person. Right. After and like, the, what do you even do about that? Right. After the first semester. So you can imagine like what that did to my psyche. psyche. So I had three and a half, four months to prove to them after this, they told me I was on probation to prove to them that I belonged. And the odds were already stacked against me because I didn't belong. I was a Latina woman in a class of white males. Mm-hmm. So I worked very hard. I never left the rehearsal room. I read every book imaginable. I studied. I did everything they told me to. And I I was starting to look like the other classes that were coming through. I was like, oh, this is what it is. They instill in your your brain. They break you down Mm. at first. I hope they're planning to build me back up. Right. So I accepted it. I was like, okay, this is the breakdown phase. I just have to do what they say. I bought all new clothes. I bought all new shoes. I learned to walk differently. I learned to stand differently. I learned to not speak out and like craft my thoughts before opening my mouth. Like everything they told me to do, I did. It's like really wild to hear that knowing you as a person now and seeing how that wall that you very much so have when you first meet you got built because that's, yeah, that's that's where it was built that's where that's where they started putting in the pipes yeah right so i did it i fought tooth and nail blood sweat and tears and it got me sick i would never leave the rehearsal room i would stay up late like learning practicing whatever and i got really sick cuz i stopped taking care of my body. I stopped eating. I stopped like listening to the warning signs my body was telling me. And I got a UTI, which I had never had before. 
and it spread through my bloodstream and into my kidneys and I had a kidney infection and I was having like 105 fever for like five days Mm -hmm. until I finally drove myself to the hospital in the middle of like a school week which was like unimaginable like how dare you like take an hour and miss class Mm -hmm. to go to a doctor's appointment but I drove myself to the hospital and thinking it was just going to be fine. They were going to give me some like shot or IV or something and I'll be fine. I went in and the nurse took my temperature. She took my blood. She like did all the tests and she's like, how long has this been going on? I was like, I've been feeling this for like three, maybe four days. She was like, okay, wait here. She left. The doctor came back. He's like, I don't want to alarm you, but we're just going to keep you here overnight. Um, It's nothing to worry about, but I just want to show you like, this is the normal white blood cell count, and this is your white blood cell count. And he's like, it's 400% more. So we need to keep you here for the night. It'll just be one night, and it'll be fine. I'm like, okay, well, let me make some calls and figure it out. So I had to, like, call all my teachers and tell them, I'm in the hospital, but I'll be fine tomorrow, whatever. They gave me stink about it, but, like, I was like, what can I do, you know? A day turned into two days, turned into three days, turned into seven days. Mm -hmm. I was hospitalized for seven days because I don't know what it was called, but it's when it's like right before you get a full blood transfusion Mm -hmm. where your like body's not producing enough white blood cells to keep like the levels down. And my blood was so contaminated and it was going into my kidneys. Mm -hmm. So I was getting shots in my stomach and shots in my arm. And like, I was like delirious half the time. And all the time, like, by yourself in a state that's not home. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad came. My aunt came. And after a week, they told me I could finally go home, but I needed to take an extra week's rest. Mm. And I was like, I can't do that. I was like, I have to go back. We have these big auditions, and we have these big tests, and we have these... I can't go back. I can't go back. I I mean, I can't not go back. Yeah. And... I was the lead in the play and they recast me after like not knowing what my state was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this can't happen. Like I need this. Like I'm going to get kicked out. Like I can't like not, this yeah. can't. So I fought and fought and fought and fought. I was like, look, I'm fine. I need a couple days to just like get my strength back. But like the show doesn't open for a month and a half. We've already blocked the whole show. I'm already off book. Like, you've only had one week person fill in, like the understudy fill in. Mm -hmm. I can step right back in. Like, we're nowhere near we're opening. It's totally fine. They were like, no, we've already replaced you, but we need to have a meeting. And I was like, okay. So in my true fashion, (laughs) I showed up at the rehearsal with my aunt and like opened the door to like prove that I was like, hi, I'm alive. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me fucking in the door. And everybody was like, they stopped and gasped. It was like one of those like soap opera moments. Right. That they were like, oh, Maria's here. Like, <laughs> like, I was like, hi. And there was like all of this drama surrounding it. And they were like, we need to meet tomorrow because this is unacceptable, blah, blah, blah. So I show up at the office the next day and I was like, guys, I'm totally fine. Like, 
I'm recovered. I'm a little weak, but like the doctor said this and this and this. And he was like, that's not what we need to talk about. We need to talk about you not finishing the program. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, you've missed two weeks of class, which makes you ineligible to graduate. And I was like, what? (laughs) They're like, we're so sorry, but like, this is the way it has to be. You can no longer be here. You've missed too much class. Here's where the tricky part happened because another student, which is a white female, the, the semester prior was not on probation. The semester prior didn't take any of her final exams, which were worth 30% of her grade because she had a panic attack the last day of school, like the day of finals, she had a panic attack, mm-hmm. which I'm not like saying is was fake or anything. I was like, yeah, she, she had a panic attack, but she should have been able to like turn in her paper, right? like redo her scene. Mm-hmm. Like it's, but she never redid anything. She never did her finals, 30% of her grade, which means that she had a D average. And they came to me and they were like, you're going to be kicked out. And I was like, why you, you missed too much school. And I was like, okay, well, if you kick me out, you're going to have a really big problem on your hands. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, my classmate didn't do any of her finals last semester, which means that she's failing. And according to the contract, the school code of contract that you all made a sign, Mm -hmm. you can't fail any of your classes. Otherwise you get kicked out. I said, is she going to get kicked out? Mm. And they were like, that's something that she needs to discuss with her teachers. I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. If you kick me out and you don't kick her out, she's white. I'm not. That is, looks like a direct discrimination act against me mm-hmm. where you're putting two students that do not qualify to graduate because of your school code of conduct and you kick out one but not the other and yeah. the one that you don't happen to kick out is a white girl. Mm-hmm. That's a bigger problem than just yeah. we kicked out a girl from school yeah so I don't need to talk to her teachers she doesn't need to talk to your teachers that's something for you guys to figure out and so they were like okay we'll discuss we'll figure it out and I was like you do that and let me know how it goes and then a week later she's crying in the bathroom the girl and we're like why is she crying in the bathroom what happened oh my god did they attack her no she's crying because she has to redo all her finals oh my god and from then on, they left me alone. Well, good. But I, at that point, I was done. I was like, fuck you guys. This is not the thing. Yeah. I still had a year left to go. I was like, leave me the fuck alone. Let me just fu- fucking graduate and yeah. never look back. So that's sort of what I had to go through in the program. Yeah. But then there's other factors that went around later. Yeah. <laughs> that added to that brick wall that you talk about. Yeah. And that was at the next stop or was that still in Texas? This is still in Texas. Okay. So I know this story from you sharing it with me personally. And then when we did the grief episode, you came on happy hour to kind of talk about the like overview of it, but it's, it's heavy. Yeah. Um, So let's start at the beginning of that. Great. (laughs) So this happened before 
I was hospitalized and before that conversation, this was like right in the middle between my first and last year. Um, I had gotten a theater contract to do a show in the middle of a canyon in Texas. Um, it was like eight hours away from where I was and it was like a whole summer and I was a dancer for the show. So outdoor theater, outdoor venue, seats like 2,000 people, 3,000 people. Um, show is completely outside, rain or shine. We do the show. Heavy, heavy choreography. Like we had to take ballet class before every performance. I think we did like 67 performances in the summer. Wow. Um, but the, the most authentic, genuine, fun, vivacious, vibrant people that you could meet in your life. Like these people instantly clicked with them, like became my family. We spent all our time together. We went to bars. We did the show. We went to class. We did so many things. Like, yeah, it's like your family. Instant family. Um, Which was probably so welcomed after being in such a toxic environment at school. Yeah. Yeah, it, they revived my spirit a little bit Yeah. after that. I was like, oh, well, I thought I wasn't good enough as a person, but these people are telling me that I'm worth it. Right. So they revived me a little bit, and we did the show. It was super fun, like just great people all around. Um, and we were about to close out the last week of the show, and we went to the closing night party, which was at this, like, giant, like, 10 acre ranch with like we went to the pool and we had this like dinner set up and we had this giant like 30 foot bonfire like all of this stuff it's like super texas right mm -hmm. and we were driving back from the party and people were like sh shifting around who was driving back with who we were drinking all day long um but my car we left first we were like one of the first to leave because the driver she's like very responsible like very conservative type of girl. Um, and she wouldn't let me go in anyone else's car. She's like, you drove with me, I'm driving you back. Like, that's it. And thank God for her. <laughs> um, but she drove us back. It takes like an hour to get back to where we were staying. And when we got back, we started getting a slew of text messages from everybody. Have you seen this person? Have you seen that person? Have you seen, when was the last time you talked to? Like a slew of them. And we're like, what is going on? Something's going on. Next thing we hear is a knock at the door and it's one of the like three or four of the cast members. They're like, have you heard from so-and-so? Have you heard? Like, we can't find her anywhere. We don't know where she is. We saw this accident right as we were leaving and like, we don't know. She's not answering her phone. Have you talked to this person, that person, this person? Um, and I had gotten, I had looked at my phone and I had a voicemail from one of the friends that was missing. And I was like, oh, I just got a voicemail from so-and-so. Let me let me listen to it, see what it says. And it was just like dead air, like nothing on it. I was like, oh, that's weird. They, there's, I can't, there's no voice on it. I don't know why. Maybe it was a butt dial. I don't know. More people coming in, freaking out. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? By this time, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning. We get a text. Everybody gets a text from our director, theater director. He's like, everybody needs to come to the office right now. I'm like, right now, it's 1 a.m. in the morning. Like, what do you mean? Did the show change? Are we doing something different tomorrow? Like, what's going on? We had, like, five performances left. So we're like, this is weird. So we go, and me and my friends, my, like, roommates, were one of the first people to, like, get there and open the door. 
and we see four other castmates with the director. The four other castmates were like in tears, bawling, bawling, bawling. The director is on the phone. And I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? Nobody would answer me. I'm like, what's happening? Hello? Like, what's happening? Nobody said a thing. He got up, took the phone call to the other room. And I was like, guys, like, why are you crying? What's happening? They're like, there was an accident. And five of our castmates were in the car. So we're just trying to figure out what the situation is. So he's on the phone with the PD, Texas Amarillo PD. And we're trying to figure it out. And I was like, okay, well, then we don't have anything to worry about. We don't need to cry because we don't know if it's bad or not. Mm-hmm. So let's just wait it out and see. And then more people started trickling in. more, And so all of the pieces of the puzzle, because everybody had a different version of the story based mm-hmm. on what they saw. So more pieces of the puzzle started, like, trickling in. And we started putting two to two together. And we're like, oh, shit, this is bad. Turns out one of the cast members saw the crash, Mm. like went up to see if anybody was hurt and like was like completely like flabbergasted, like couldn't even speak words of of what he saw. And we're like, holy shit. So at this point, we've got the entire office filled with like 50, 60 people like waiting to hear the news. Um, One of the guy's boyfriends comes rushing in and he's like I'm gonna throw up I'm gonna throw up and he just runs to the bathroom like pushes through all the people runs to the bathroom finally the director comes back he's like I spoke with the police department and we lost some people tonight Mm. and we're like what like what do you mean lost like they just like walked away and like we can't find them or like what do you mean he's like these are the people these are the souls that died tonight He's like listing the names, listing the names, listing the names. Apparently there was one extra person in the car that survived that we didn't know was in the car. Mm. But the other five died, like on impact. And then I, my mind went back to like, that's what the voicemail was. He butt dialed me on impact. Oh my God. And I lost it. I was like, what the fuck? Like crying, like running, like I couldn't find any sort of shelter to like, so I ran outside and there was a bunch of people just like on the floor vomiting and crying and calling their parents and calling like, like hysteria. We were out there for like an hour. A priest shows up, another like pastor shows up. We've got like three members of the church there praying and saying, you know, their prayers and, we're there in this like outside this like crazy crowd of like hysteria and religion and it was just this like out weird, of a movie out of a movie and then at the, towards the end our one friend that was late to the party late to get home didn't know anything that was going on you hear him from like across the parking lot and it's a pretty big parking lot screaming what happened what happened? Like screaming and crying and screaming. He's like, somebody tell me what happened. Oh my God. He gets there. Nobody says a word. Nobody, nobody says a goddamn word. Cause we couldn't, like we couldn't fucking say anything. Yeah. I called my parents. I think it was four in the morning and told them what happened. 
And they're like, do you want to come home? I was like, I don't know what the situation, I don't, like, I don't know what's well, happening. Well, so it was a, it was a car accident. It was a car accident. Did they hit another car? They hit an 18 wheeler that was packing barrels of water bottles Ugh. that fell then on top of the car. And just crushed the car. Yeah. So the driver was killed on impact. The guy, the person sitting in like the little like hand rest that mm-hmm. wasn't supposed to die on impact. Mm-hmm. Passenger seat died on impact. Um, the two in the back, I don't think died on impact, but like died slowly after from the crushing, I think. Yeah. And then the one that the crushing missed was in the back seat. And the friend that saw the accident finally later told us that like all he could hear was his voice like screaming out of the top of his lungs. And then when we went to visit him in the hospital, he says he has no recollection of it. Like zero. He's just And like he survived. It, he survived. He said it just went black. Doesn't remember screaming. Doesn't remember ha- like screaming help or anything. Just like the brain just shut it off from yeah. his memory. He had no recollection of every, anything. Um, and so the directors of the show the next day said, we're going to meet at this Baptist church to figure out what we're going to do with the rest of the show. Because at that point we had lost five cast mates. And we needed to, I guess, decide collectively on yeah. like what the fate would be of the show. Which is, thinking about it now, it's just like so stupid. Like, who cares about the fucking show? But at the moment, it felt very important that we have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And half the cast decided that they didn't want to continue with the show. Half the cast was debating that all the reasons we should. You know, like, we have to do it for the memory of them. We have to do it because they would. They were such hard-working dancers. They were such amazing people. Like, we have to do it for them. And some people were like, well, no, I don't want to do the show if they're not a part of it. I right. don't. So we came to the conclusion that, like, if you want to go, you can go. If you want to stay, you can stay. And that was just what we were going to leave it because it was too emotional. It was too – we were never going to come to a, like, Yeah, collective decision. decision. I remember leaving the Baptist church and paparazzi was already outside. Mm. Like all the news reporters, like trying to get information, like trying to understand what was happening. And we were set to go to rehearsal later that day to like see what we had. Um, Or not that day, the next day, I think we took the day off. But the next day, um, half the cast decided to leave. So when you have a cast of just dancers alone, and we're not talking musicians, we're not talking singers, we're not talking actors, just dancers alone, there was like 27 of us, mm-hmm. half of them were gone. Either they died or they packed up and left. Yeah. So I think we were left with like maybe like 13 or 14 people mm-hmm. on like this giant stage that had to fit 30 dancers, right? And we were trying to figure out how to fix the show, how to like change the choreography, how to do this and that. We're on the stage and the dancers are on stage and they're like starting positions and the rest of the cast is sitting in the audience. And I go to my spot, like I'm trying to be like noble about it and be like, this is where I stand. This is what I'm doing. I'm just going to follow direction. And I look out to the audience and the entire cast is bawling in tears. I'm like, what happened? Did somebody else like did somebody get hurt? Like what happened? What happened? And I turn around to see what happened, and I realized the stage was bare. There was nobody left. Yeah. 
And that was the saddest thing I think I'd ever seen in my life at that point of like, what happened to our fucking family? Right. Like, it was barely anybody standing there. Some people had partners that they were dancing with yeah. that they were dead. Mm-hmm. And the choreographer, like, bless her heart, was like trying to figure out how to fix a show that's broken. Yeah. And she's changing partners around and fixing choreography. The orchestra starts playing the music so we could start dancing. And one of the dancers just stopped. She's like, no, no. They stopped the music. She's like, if I don't do the show as we've always done it, I'm not doing it. She was like, so-and-so is my partner and he's gone. If I'm doing the show for him, I'm not dancing with anybody else. I will dance my partner part solo. Yeah. I will lift myself. Mm-hmm. I will flip myself. Yeah. Like this, we're not changing the show. So we didn't change the show. And the choreography stayed as it always been. There were holes everywhere, people missing. Um, that night we did the show just for friends and family. And it rained like heavy downpour. And usually when it rains like that with thunder and lightning, we don't do the show because we've got electrical and it's dangerous. But we started the show. It started drizzling. It started pouring. And the stage managers cut the show. The lights went off. Music went off. Everything just shut down. And they're like, everybody, seek shelter. Like, it's raining too hard over the loudspeaker. And we kept going. (laughs) We didn't stop. We didn't leave. We just kept going. And the stage manager later told us, she was like, they're not moving. They're not leaving. What do we do? And the assistant stage manager was like, well, bring it back up. They're going to go. Yeah. <laughs> so we finished the show in the pouring rain. And one of the one of my dancer friends was like, um, this person used to love dancing in the rain. Mm. And she's like, I have no doubt in my mind that he's causing this rain. <laughs> And sure enough, when we finished the show, we took our final bows, the rain just stopped, like cold turkey. Mm. Like it was pouring rain and it just, yeah, clear sky. And we're like, oh yeah, that was for sure him. And I think that moment like helped us get our composure back of like washing away sort of like metaphorically like yeah. the hurt. And we were like, okay, well, this is what we're, this is the show. So we're going to do this and we're going to do it right. The next three shows were sold out double capacity Mm. because the the news had become national and always bad news is better than good news. Mm. So we were oversold. There was people sitting on the stage, people sitting in the aisles, people sitting up at the top, like filled of people. Yeah. And we're like, what the fuck is this? Like the show's never been this packed ever. It's like a show in the middle of fucking nowhere, Texas. Like (laughs) the worst part was at the end, we're supposed to like greet the audience. Like, thank you for coming. You know, we're in our little, like we're in riding blue gear and we had so many moms like judging. Well, I heard he was drunk and that's why, you know, you shouldn't be drunk behind the wheel. And I heard they were high and I heard this. And like, like they were sort of mean about it. They're like, that's why you shouldn't do this. Like they were pointing fingers at us and like judging us because of like, the accident Mm -hmm. and like the actions of the people in the car. And this one girl was like, hell no. And she starts going, like she's going to like beat this mom's ass. Like she's like ready to like, and we had to pull her back because she was like just ready to go off. And like people don't understand that like 
when tragedy strikes like that, like no matter what you believe, yeah. you need to have compassion. Yeah. Like whether you believe like drunk driving is bad. Yes, we all agree drunk driving is bad. But like- that were, There were still five lives that were lost. That's five lives that were lost. Yeah. And like you need to sh- like show a little bit respect. Yeah. Like, you can't just like- Write it off. Because of your belief system. No. And, like, no. So we did the show and um, I had to jump on a flight the day after we closed it out. Um, but my parents had booked my flight like three hours away because it was like a cheaper flight or something. So I had to drive my car to that airport to fly to Florida for only two days time. And I was a wreck. I hadn't slept. I hadn't eaten. Like I was getting behind the car at like seven thirty in the morning to drive to make like a three, two o'clock flight or something. And I was falling asleep behind the wheel and I got pulled over by a cop and he's like, why are you going 112 miles an hour? He's like, what's the emergency? And I just start crying. I was like, I haven't slept. My friends are dead. I need to catch this flight. I have to go fast because I'm falling asleep. Like I like bawling. And he's like, took a step back. He's like, okay, (laughs) okay. Do you want, do you want to follow me? Do you want me to follow you? Like, so he didn't give me a ticket or anything, but like, he was like scared. He was like, oh my God. He was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. What did I just walk into? I go home for two days and like, I still had to go back to school. Mm -hmm. Like the school that was like making me feel like less of a person. And I was in tears with my dad, like the night before my flight of like, I don't want to go back. Please don't make me go back. Like I cannot face this right now. He's like, you need to finish this. You started it. Life goes on. I was like, you don't understand. The year I, I, the year after the accident was one of the hardest years because there's no time in between. So I didn't have any grieving time. I didn't have any time to process. It was just like, go, 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 go. And nobody else was there from the outside. It was like, Oh, five people died. I didn't know them or, Oh, that's really sad. I feel bad for these people. Mm -hmm. But like, if you were there and they were part of your family and they revived your spirit and they made you believe in yourself again to go back to a place where people were going to shoot you down and pressure you and make you feel like shit. And not only were they like not around, but they were dead. Mm -hmm. How do you pick yourself up and like keep going from that? Yeah. Like I had PTSD for months. I would be in the middle of my movement class and just burst out into tears and scream and cry. And like, I would have to apologize to the teacher. I'm so sorry. He's like, I get it. It's cool. I get it. Um, I got a boyfriend at that time because I was so vulnerable. And I was like, I need, I don't have, I felt so isolated and alone. And he was a really sweet guy. He ended up later, fi- later finding out he was cheating on me, but that's besides the point. He was there while I was hospitalized. And so that was a big help. One night I was watching the Harry Potter movies because I had never seen them. And I think in number four, one of the wizards dies for Mm -hmm. the first time. And I saw that and I lost it. Yeah. I was like bawling and I was crying and I had to leave his house and I had to drive home and I just couldn't. And I was sitting in my car when I got home and the friend that survived called me. It was three o'clock in the morning. He's mm. like, I woke up and I had to call you for some reason. Wow. I was like, oh. So it's like, we're like innately connected now. Yeah. 
spiritually connected. Like no matter where in the world we end up, yeah, there's always going to be those surviving family members that experienced that it together. Experienced it together. That are bonded for life. Do you still talk to them? Sometimes, some sometimes I do. During the pandemic, I talked to some of them. Yeah. Um, but like everybody's scattered now. People are in New York. People are in Texas. People are in yeah. Chicago. Like it's hard to keep track, but. It's like a bond. Yeah. What do you think that experience, going through that experience, instilled in you? Because obviously you go through some type of trauma like that. You're going to have subconscious beliefs that form and then moving forward will show up in your life. Yeah. Well, I think the entire Texas experience between that, between what happened in school, me being hospitalized, I was like, the world is not, a nice place. Mm. People are shit. People die. No one's there to pick you up. You are here alone. You came in alone. You will die alone. And like, no matter who you meet along the way or what people say to you or like all of it is bullshit because the stuff that I was told in school was bullshit, right? Like, how dare you like break me down as a person when I'm coming to school to learn. Mm -hmm. How dare you discriminate against me? How dare you like show favoritism in any sense of the word to anybody for any reason who's, who, who's trusting you as an institution to like, yeah. And so I have a really big problem with authority now. Mm -hmm. Like always, like if somebody tries to tell me what to do, I'm like, what do you know? Where right. have you been? What have you seen? Mm -hmm. Who told you that this is the way? Because yeah. it's not in your bullshit. Like, so I had this like perspective moving forward that I was like, everything's bullshit. Nobody touched me. Nobody get near me. Fuck everybody. Because that's what I had left. That's what all I had left was yeah. like, I'm not going to let people break me down anymore. I'm not going to let people die anymore. I'm not going to let people like tell me what I can and cannot be because of how they want to view the world and how they want to view life. And like, how did you let, when you say, I'm not going to let people die anymore, was that I'm not going to let people close to me so it doesn't matter if, if they die? If they don't get close to me and they die, I can't, I'm not attached. Right. So I can't relive that. That's the first time in my life that like I've ever experienced grief. Yeah. So Up until that point, the only like person passing in my life was my grandfather and he passed when I was five. So like, I yeah. didn't know. Right. And they're old. So they're it's old. different. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know the things. And like people around me were like, Oh, Jackie, it's enough. Get up. Like, it's fine. Like it's over. Like move on. I'm like, no, you don't understand like the meaning of this. Yeah. You don't understand that when somebody breaks you down, and people rebuild you, and then those people go? Yeah. Who do you have? Who do you fucking have? Nobody was there with you to experience the thing. So, like, all the people that you did have in your corner, they don't connect with you on that. They don't understand. Right. Like, who the fuck do you have anymore? So who, I guess, the two-part question. First being, how have you lessened that? How have you recognize that that's a thing that you now have. And that's obviously not a way that you can live a fulfilling life. And part two, who are those people that have helped break down that wall for you? That mentality breeds toxicity. 
So from moving to California until about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I was a toxic person. I was living a toxic life. I was on the bo- lowest of my lows constantly, like a cycle of like, I'd be on the, on the bottom, I'd be up a little bit, then I'd be down, and then I'd be down, and then I'd be down. I was seeking out people that were like shitty people. I was seeking out people that like were no good, like for me in any sense of the word, were like toxic themselves. Like I was breeding this like dark cloud of toxicity. And I think when it came to a head was with the he who shall not be named <laughs> because your your he who shall not he be named who shall not be named <laughs> that's when it hit a head because with him things got really real because i had bred this life of toxicity i was dating someone extremely toxic and for for like 3 years on and off not even officially really dating i and then I get this phone call from his like girlfriend at the time telling me that he was like spreading STDs around town. And I had to deal with that fucking bomb of like, shit, I have to get tested now. Like what happens if it comes back positive? Like right. what the fuck? Like that was like reality right there. Yeah. That was like somebody up in heaven saying like, yo bitch, like <laughs> sit down, shut up. <laughs> like this is not the way to go. Yeah. And from then on, I was like, I don't, I don't want that in my life. I don't want any like reason for that to enter my life ever again. I don't want like all these shitty people who do shitty things around me. Like I cut, I cut so many people out, so many people. And then I started like opening myself up to like, okay, what makes me happy? What are the things that like allow me to love myself? What are the things that I need to be doing to like not live that life? So like whatever my instinct was, I had to do the opposite. So I started doing that. Mm. And then that's when I met you and that's when I met John and that's when I met like so many good people in my life is because I was no longer in that toxic mindset. Yeah. So you started attracting different things. Yeah. But so it's like a vicious cycle. Like the things that happen to you then turn into what you do to others Mm. and how you treat yourself, which is why it's so important to like not do that shit to people. And not have, not allow that shit to be done to you because you adopt that whether you're cognizant or not, Mm -hmm. like everything that somebody does to you, you, you're learning like just as a a person, a species, a a human being, you learn that you're like, Oh, you know, gravity makes me fall down. So now in the back of your mind, you're always thinking gravity makes me fall down. Right. So then if I'm like, Oh, well my clothes is the reason people don't like me because that's what I was told in school. Okay. Well then. I'll change That's my clothes. always in the back of right. my mind. Yeah. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Well, yeah. if I'm not good enough, then you can't, then be, you good can't enough. be good enough. So let's not be good enough together. And let's just like, like cause havoc in the world. You yeah. Know? Like for what? Not a way to it's live. It's all bullshit. Yeah. So how do you think where you are at now in your life? How has that wall started to change? I think this is going to sound really sappy. <laughs> But John, which is my boyfriend, has allowed me to want to change Mm. and want to be a better person and want to get rid of the things I used to use as excuses to be like, this is the reason I can't be above this or I can't hold myself to standards or I can't 
I, I'm anxious. I have PTSD. I have stress. I have like trauma, like all of this. Like I used, used to use that as an excuse to mm. not have to change because I was comfortable. But then it was like the thought of losing somebody who's good for me, who teaches me things, who makes me want to be better. It was like, I can't, <laughs> can't lose another fucking like revival card. Yeah. You know, cause those friends were, were my revival. And so John's my revival and I'm like, I'm not going to lose that. Yeah. You no. Know? So it was like, it's either I have to change or, and if I don't want to change, I have to step out either way I lose. Yeah. So the only option is to change. Yeah. Similar when I met you, I was like, wait, this bitch is so open and nothing bad <laughs> happens to her. <laughs> There's something in that. Like, and what can I learn from her? Because I need to not do these things that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. I need to learn from you and be like, oh, well, if you breed in positivity, if you allow open-mindedness, if you allow, like, maybe it's not going to go to shit. Maybe it could be great. Right. You know, if I adopt that mindset, then things might start to open up for me. And maybe other people might take a chance on me. Maybe like I won't be stuck in this vicious cycle yeah. of shit. Well, I've and seen so, a massive change in you just from when I've met you to how you are now. It's happened slowly, yeah. but it's <laughs> happened and you are a much different, more open version of you now than you were when I met you. Yeah. I mean, when I met you, when we started going out, I was like, this bitch hates me. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause it's true. I hated everybody. I was like, nobody gets, but that's seven years in the making. Mm-hmm. You just allowed it to be, push it a little bit over the edge more than other people. Yeah. But it, it has been a slow healing process of going from a shit place where I felt like nothing. I wasn't good enough. I'd lost everything that I could ever lose in my life to now like that doesn't happen in a year or two years like that's constant like okay I meet someone new what do they teach me I meet someone new yeah this life experience taught me this this life experience taught me that and building yourself back up in in building yourself back up but the 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 point is is that you have to choose to accept it as a lesson so you don't keep repeating the toxic yeah because for a long time I was repeating the toxic over and over and over because I was refusing to change. Yeah, that's a huge, there's a huge fucking lesson in that. You have to choose to have different patterns in your life and choose to make different choices that will get you away from those toxic ones. Yeah. So in closing, if you could leave everybody with one piece of uh, Jackie advice. (laughs) You do this to me. What would it be? One piece of advice. There's going to be a million reasons why you can't. All you need is one reason why you will. Love that. Very, very good. Tell everyone where they can follow you on social media. At Jacqueline Marie Alberto. And the... At Chiquita Miami Productions. Yep, which produces this lovely podcast. FML Talk. Brought to you by Chiquita Miami. Chiquita Miami. (laughs) All right, girl. I love you so much. Thank you for being here. I know it's not an easy story to rehash, but I'm really proud to see the growth from such a really traumatic thing that you dealt with. Thank you. I still can't believe you made me do this. Love you. (laughs) Big thank you to my producer and also my best friend, Jackie, for coming on and sharing her incredible story in today's episode. I'm really glad that you guys got to get a little peek behind the curtain of 
someone who is so important to me in my life. And I know that's obviously not an easy story to talk about. So I'm really, really glad that she felt safe enough to do it on our show. Next week, we have a fun-filled episode. Lo Von Rumpf, who is a celebrity stylist, is coming. We're talking all things reality TV, his bachelorette best friend, and what it has been like being a gay Latino in this crazy LA industry. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast for all extra bonus content and to join the private self-love Facebook group, you can go to patreon.com slash FML Talk. And as always, guys, have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.